Ciao amici. Welcome to Cinema Italiano, the podcast dedicated to the Italian experience as told by film. Today, we'll be talking about Nani Moretti's 2001 film, The Sun's Room, or La Stanza del Filio. First, as a couple quick news items, the David D. Donatello Award nominations were just announced. These awards are like the Italian Oscars, celebrating the best in Italian film over the previous year. The big nominees are Esterno Notte, Exterior Night, directed by Marco Bellocchio, Le Otto Montagne, The Eight Mountains, directed by Felix von Groningen and Charlotte Vandermeersch, and La Stranezza, Strangeness, directed by Roberto Wando. Unfortunately, a lot of the movies are not available yet in the U.S., but I'll share a link in the show notes on which films are available to see. I'll keep this updated, but so far we have Nostalgia, a nominee for Best Film, and In Viaggio, a nominated documentary following Pope Francis, available on iTunes, Amazon Prime Video, and Vudu. The awards themselves will be held on Wednesday, May 10th, airing on the Rai One channel. I'm catching up on the nominees myself, and just posted a review for Ostolfo, or Never Too Late for Love, a nominee for Best Original Screenplay. It's a charming romantic comedy directed by Gianni Di Gregorio and follows Astolfo, a retired professor who leaves Rome and returns to his hometown in Abruzzo, where he sparks a connection with Stefania, a widowed grandmother. It's pretty straightforward and predictable, but still a satisfying look at two people who, later in life, find a new chapter of happiness. This year's Cannes Film Festival also just announced their lineup, with three Italian feature films in competition. Il Sol dell'Avenire by Nani Moretti, La Chimera, directed by Alice Rohrwacher, and Rapito by Marco Bellocchio. The festival will be held May 16th through 27th, 2023, and hopeful that these films will make their way to the U.S. Now, onto our main subject for today, Nani Moretti's film La Stanza del Filio, or The Sun's Room. The Sun's Room first came on my radar as I was learning more about Nani Moretti as part of my research for my episode on Caro Diario a few years ago. It's the most recent Italian film to win the Palme d'Or at Cannes, and it also won the David Di Donatello Award for Best Film that year. Not to say that awards are everything, but out of Nani Moretti's filmography, The Sun's Room looks to be the most celebrated. What really struck me as a first impression of this film was how restrained it was. It tackles difficult subject matter that could easily spiral out into melodrama or big explosions of emotion, but the family portrayed here feels so natural and realistic. The Sun's Room is the story of a family, the parents Giovanni and Paola, and children Andrea and Irene, who live a pretty ordinary upper-middle-class life in Ancona, a coastal city and port in central Italy along the eastern coast touching the Adriatic Sea. Each member of the family has his or her separate sphere in school or in work, pursuing their hobbies and hanging out with friends, but everyone also spends quality time as part of the singular family unit, always eating meals together and doing activities together as a family. One Sunday, as everyone scatters for their weekend activities, tragedy strikes when Andrea, the teenage son, 
dies during a diving expedition with his friends, running out of oxygen while exploring undersea caves. This horrible loss eats away at the surviving members of the family, as each processes the loss in different ways, almost going to their own corners and mourning individually, rupturing the family unit that once brought them together. In the mail, Paola, the mother, finds a letter written to Andrea from a girl, Ariana, who no one in the family knows. It turns out that she had met Andrea the year before, at a summer camp, and they've kept in touch all this time. Paola reaches out to Ariana, and she shows up one night with another friend as they're hitchhiking through Europe. The family decides to help take them along their journey, driving them to a gas station, then all the way out to the French border. The experience becomes almost cathartic, bringing the remaining members of the family together, assisting someone with her own unique connection to Andrea, where helping her is almost like helping Andrea. The final poignant shot is of the three, father, mother, and daughter, walking along the shore as a family again. One of the most compelling psychological explorations the film makes is how each family member, Giovanni, Paola, and Irene, express their grief. In an essay for the European Journal of Psychoanalysis, Sergio Benvenuto observes that Giovanni fixates on the past, Irene on the present, and Paola on the future. Giovanni becomes obsessed with the day of the accident. That morning at breakfast, he had invited Andrea to go on a run with him, but then receives an urgent call from one of his patients, and he has to go in person to see him, leaving Andrea's day free to go diving with his friends. Giovanni replays the day over and over in his head, regretting going to see that patient on a Sunday, and for not insisting Andrea join him on his run, as if these turns of fate would have prevented Andrea's death. In one scenario, Giovanni pictures indeed going on his run with Andrea, spending that time together, after which Andrea asks if he can go with his friends. In both this imagined possibility, as well as in real life, Giovanni does see, even if he can't unload himself of his guilt, that he couldn't necessarily have saved him. In addition to blaming himself, he also visits the sporting goods store, looking at the oxygen tank Andrea would have used, and raises the possibility that the equipment was faulty. Could it have given a false oxygen reading, making Andrea think there was way more in the tank than there was, and if it worked properly, would the accident have never even happened? He mentions this to Paola, who replies that they already looked into the oxygen tank and found that it wasn't broken. She seems slightly irritated, and this is clearly a conversation they've had before. Paola's grief pivots and becomes transfixed with the possibilities of the future. When she finds the correspondence between Andrea and Ariana, she pleads with Giovanni to write to her, and eventually calls Paola herself. We only hear Paola's side of the conversation, but the sense we get is that Ariana isn't at first receptive to meeting up. Paola offers to go see her, must have gotten the answer no, then asks her to reconsider growing more and more desperate to connect with this new player who nobody knew that had ties to her son. Ariana is like one last hope, a new energy or representation to bring forth another side of Andrea. While her parents are torn between past and present, 
Irene, their teenage daughter, gradually pulls back and disengages with her present. Her rage comes out during a basketball game, yelling at the referee and getting in a fight with another player. She breaks up with her boyfriend and overall seems to retreat from day-to-day life. The different expressions of grief for each member of the family are all the more striking as, prior to the tragedy, the family is portrayed as one warm, loving, singular unit. The shift from the family as a whole to breaking apart track the before and after of the loss of Andrea. The first part of the film has so many expressions of the singular family unit. Waiting till everyone is seated to have dinner together. The parents hovering while Irene does homework with her boyfriend, then helping her with Latin afterwards. Everyone singing together in the car. Andrea playing tennis with the rest of the family watching. All up through the family of four, having Sunday breakfast together for the last time. It may be cliche to say, but it does feel like a perfect family, spending quality time together, being thoughtful and supporting one another. The loss of Andrea marks the split of the family. In the hospital, the three embrace and cry together when the news hits, but after that, they grieve in separate rooms and retreat into their own areas. Giovanni's obsession with the past, Irene giving up on the present, and Paola fixated on the future represented by Ariana. Even efforts to bring the family back together, marked by the family meal, don't work. In separate scenes, Irene preps breakfast, but her parents never emerge from their rooms. And in a different scene, Giovanni cooks dinner at home alone, while Paola stays late at work, and Irene hangs out at a bar. What brings the family back together is a surprise arrival of Ariana. They offer to drive her and her friend Stefano as they hitchhike through Europe, and everyone piles into the car late that night to make the trek to the border. It's even visually framed like that earlier scene of the family with Andrea singing together in the car. Everyone is there, and it feels like a singular unit again. Even the affection shown and the way Giovanni and Paola talk about Ariana and Stefano to each other feels like they're talking about their own children. Genuine care and well wishes to these new arrivals in their lives. The experience of taking them to the border is cathartic for them, like Ariana is a messenger or second coming of Andrea, and by helping her, they're helping Andrea cross over. The final image of the film, once Ariana and Stefano have hopped on the bus, is from their point of view looking back at the family of three walking along the coast. They're close to each other and visually all within the frame, but each wandering at slightly different angles and paces, but still together nonetheless. They aren't in lockstep, and maybe they never will be again, but they are a family once more. In addition to the family dynamics, absolutely at the narrative and emotional core of The Sun's Room, this film also represents an endpoint for Giovanni as a psychoanalyst, as well as for Nani Moretti as lead actor within his own filmography. Giovanni is a psychoanalyst who sees patients facing all kinds of difficulties, depression, sex addiction, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and more. He's initially portrayed as good with his patients. He's level-headed, objective, and can handle tough questions and difficult situations. After the loss of Andrea, 
which occurs the same day that Giovanni has an urgent house call with one patient, Oscar. Giovanni develops a seething resentment for Oscar, subconsciously blaming him for pulling him away from his son and facilitating the circumstances that led to his death. Oscar is a patient dealing with depression and suicidal thoughts, who's then dealt the additional blow of a cancer diagnosis. All that said, he seems to be handling it well, telling slash asking Giovanni that having a positive mental attitude will help the physical recovery of his body. Giovanni's reply is cold, and he says that he doesn't agree, that the physical and psychological have nothing to do with each other. He doesn't give Oscar the reassuring reply that he was hoping for. Over time, Giovanni realizes that he's gone off track and isn't being the fair, objective psychoanalyst that his patients need and have come to expect from him. In fact, Oscar even comes in person to tell Giovanni that he'll seek treatment elsewhere, but genuinely thanks him for everything he's done for him. Giovanni takes a break and tells all his patients he's going to stop seeing them. And even when the film ends, it's unclear when or if he'll ever return back to his career. Giovanni's identity as a psychoanalyst comes to an end, and, according to essayist Sergio Benvenuto, in an article for the European Journal of Psychoanalysis, the film represents the end of psychoanalysis itself. Benvenuto looks at how analysts and films have been displayed over time. In the mid-20th century, there are savior figures who save the day by breaking through to some psychological truth and then in the 1970s and 80s, where psychoanalysts themselves are those who need help, all culminating with The Sun's Room in the early 21st century, where Giovanni is a psychoanalyst who is broken down from an external trauma, the loss of his son, rather than some internal emotional void that was already there. What can psychoanalysis, focused on one's interior mind, whether conscious, unconscious, exploring repression and conflicts due to fix an external problem, a tragedy outside of one's own control and agency. In addition to the take of the sun's room representing the end of analysis, it also marks an end point within Nani Moretti's filmography. After about two and a half decades of filmmaking, it becomes his final film with himself as lead actor, as well as himself playing a semi-autobiographical role. Much of his filmography, understandably, follows the trajectory of his life. Within his films, as a political actor, then facing personal tragedy, then becoming a father. Not to say that his films become impersonal after The Sun's Room, but he is no longer his own vessel for unpacking his observations, fears, and aspirations. The film's set design and lighting create an interesting balance between locations both real and unreal. Much of the Sun's Room's settings feel authentic. Driven by the on-location shooting along the port and streets of Ancona and the fully realized three-dimensional home the family shares, what feels inauthentic is Giovanni's office where he sees his patients. Compared to the vitality and depth of the other locations, Giovanni's office is so flat, artificial, with curtains drawn and sterile lighting, 
with no convincing hint of a world outside the office. It looks like a movie set, while all the other scenes look like real places. If his office where he sees his patients is an unreal space where he has to be objective, level-headed, emotionless, then everything else is the real world where his family is along with all the joys and risks of life and where emotions can come out and aren't restrained. Perhaps that makes it all the easier for him to walk away from his career, needing to cut away from a space that's artificial and emotionless, lacking the authenticity and the heart of the world outside. Another important physical space is, of course, the son's room. After seeing the letter from Ariana to Andrea, Paola steps into his room, opens the wardrobe, and buries her face in his sweatshirt and sobs. When Ariana does pop by, she asks to see Andrea's room and shares funny photos he'd taken in there, showcasing a playful, goofy side of his personality. Andrea's room is a constant, a representation of his physical self and the memory of him lingering long after his life ends. As much as Andrea's loss fractures his loved ones, his room is still there, maintaining his presence and place within the family. An interesting recurring choice of cinematography is the image of Giovanni walking through hallways. The camera is a few steps behind him as he walks away from the camera, going forward, opening doors or entering through doorways. This occurs first when he arrives at Andrea's school after receiving a call from the principal, later at home, passing Paola while she's on the telephone, and then towards the film's end, walking through the hallway to his work desk. The distance between the camera and its subject and being just far enough away to not see what's around the corner within a tighter space of a hallway or closed doors, it all feels like going through a tunnel where anything could be on the other side. And such is the experience of Giovanni's life, or really any of our lives, trudging along a path and no choice but to face whatever's at the end of the hallway, for better or for worse. The musical score is by Nicola Piovani, who also composed the music for Caro Diario and the later films by Federico Fellini, such as Ginger and Fred and Intervista. Its reserved nature sets the tone for the movie and how it handles emotion. It's a gentle, moving score that never goes into exaggerated flourishes or off the rails into melodrama, despite its tragic storyline. The most prominently used needle drop, appearing twice in the film, is the song By This River by Brian Eno, with a melancholy piano line and slow, deliberate tempo. Its lyrics speak to feeling stuck and waiting, no doubt the numbing feeling of loss that the family goes through, not knowing how to move forward or figure out the next steps of their lives. There's also a charming early scene featuring the song Insieme a te non ci sto più by Catherine Caselli, which the family all sings together in the car. The lyrics say, I'm not with you anymore. It ends here. Goodbye, love. This scene takes place with the family of four before Andrea's death, 
foreshadowing the farewell the family will soon say to their son and brother. The Sun's Room is director Nani Moretti's 10th feature film, and along with Caro Diario, it's probably his best received film within world cinema. Like Caro Diario, there are sprinkles of playful observation, and with Moretti taking on another semi-autobiographical persona, his presence and his emotions are what's at center stage. It was very well reviewed at the time of its release, earning the Palme d'Or at Cannes and that year's David Di Donatello Award for Best Film. And it's interesting to look at contemporary reviews for further insight. In a piece for Film Comment, Deborah Young writes that in Italy, detractors from Moretti's earlier films, typically social comedies, also stayed away from The Sun's Room, despite being a very different kind of movie as a family drama. Even though it had achieved international success from Khan, it wasn't some crossover hit within Italy to audiences who weren't already fans of Moretti's work. The fact that it won the Palme d'Or perhaps hurts it looking back. That same year at Khan included monumental films that have soared through the years, including David Lynch's Mulholland Drive and Michael Haneke's The Piano Teacher. So it doesn't sit well with some that The Sun's Room, on paper, a fairly straightforward family drama, won over these radical, artistically challenging works whose reputations have only grown with time. Still, taken on its own merits, The Sun's Room is a perfectly constructed, fully believable, and delicately felt story of a family struggling through loss and how that family unit comes back together in the wake of tragedy. Roger Ebert's review from 2002 puts it beautifully. Not all films can be stark, difficult, and obscure. Sometimes in a quite ordinary way, a director can reach out and touch us. And The Sun's Room does just that. The Sun's Room is available on Amazon Prime Video for rental and purchase. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your choice of podcast platform. You can also follow the show on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next time, ciao Michi.